this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest edition, Decision 2020 edition of the Woke Bros. Of course, I'm your co-host, Big Waz, a.k.a. Wosni Lambray. <laughs> Joined to that. I did that in, in, in my Haitian Creole accent because Miami, goddamn, y'all, y'all let me down, Miami. Uh, little Haiti certainly didn't, but the rest of y'all let me down. Uh, joining <laughs> me as always, man, my brother, my partner, the wonderful, the beautiful, the bashful, yeah. Nando Vila. What's good, brother? Well, you know, just uh, living through another election, just another crisis of democracy in the world's <laughs> oldest democracy, uh, the United <laughs> States of America. Just, uh, yeah, having a series of uh, panic attacks throughout the entire night, but I'm feeling good. Exactly. I'm feeling good. And of course, my man Rob Lopez on the ones and threes so that we could blame him in the Latino vote for not delivering a landslide <laughs> victory <Hell yeah. laughs> to the Democratic you Party. racist Latinos. I was gonna be, that's going to be the new Russiagate, <laughs> is that Latinos are the real racist. That's my, that's my take. <laughs> All right. So as it stands, we're taping this at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Wednesday afternoon, the afternoon after pretty much all the polls closed. Uh, it's looking like Joe Biden is going to hold on for a very narrow victory over Donald Trump. Um, votes are still being counted in Minnesota, excuse me, in Michigan, Wisconsin. The votes are done. Uh, Biden won that by 20,000 20, votes, which is exactly the same margin that Trump won in 2016 over Hillary. They're still counting votes in Nevada, but that's, you know, that's basically been reliably blue forever now. Uh, still counting votes in Arizona. Joe Biden has a sizable lead, which is basically the upset of the night. And to my mind, Joe Biden, uh, the Dems actually carrying a state that has been reliably red for a long time. Not a pipe dream state like Texas, not a pipe dream state like Georgia, you know, not a pipe dream state, uh, a, a legitimately red state. And the, the Dems actually flipped it. Right. Um, I, I think that's the, that's the one impressive victory. Um, of last night, I would say what's happening in Arizona because that came as a shock to me. Uh, but other than that, they're still counting votes in Pennsylvania. That's looking like it's going to come down to the wire, be very close. But because Biden is carrying the day 
in Michigan, in Wisconsin, and it's looking damn good for Arizona. He's going to squeak by um, in an election that many people thought that he would cruise to victory. Um, perhaps that was probably foolish and foolhardy to think that. Uh, but there's just so many thoughts. I just want to say my first thought, um, I think last night what I noticed for sure is not just how Biden underperformed in Miami Dade against, I mean, amongst, you know, that subset of people, which we've covered a decent amount on this show. And I think mm. we've done a decent job, especially because Nando being a South Florida native himself, um, I'm surprised how terrible he did in the border towns uh, in Texas. Um, mm. These towns are very, very, very heavily Mexican-American towns, brown towns, the type of towns that, quite frankly, the Democratic establishment takes for granted. These people, brown people, uh, Latino, Latinx, I don't know what the hell we're calling people who are Puerto Rican, Peruvian, Dominican, um, you know what I'm saying, Cuban. Like, I don't know what we're calling them, but that's since that's the, the only term that we have, um, these are the people that they take for granted. Um, mm. and, and, and they did, they, they got their clocks clean down there in Texas, which is an embarrassment, quite frankly, like Hillary Clinton just did way better four years ago. Just the idea that these guys, that these, these counties would go for president Trump in such a major way, um, is, is kind of wild, but Nando, man, just please jump in. I think that, that, that was my takeaway. Not that <laughs> I think what comes out of it was going to come out of it. And I talked about this. I did a quick periscope, just some live periscopes um, last night, just reacting to some of the stuff I was seeing on on MSNBC because that's what I was watching. Um, there was an awkwardness about how they wanted to talk about the Latinx voter not voting <laughs> blue, right? Because there's a sort of infantilizing way that they talk yeah. about minorities and people of color, right? Like they don't talk about these um, minorities with any nuance with besides we're the not racist people. So therefore, mm -hmm. if you care about not racist, which you should, cause I guess ra like, I, I guess racism is allegedly the most important topic in the world to these people or, or, or allegedly um, you should want to ride with us. We don't really care about specifically what your needs are. Just know that we'll never call you a wetback. We'll never call you a nigger. <laughs> and so, therefore we love you we love you obviously right um that's clearly been a strategy but i'm watching msnbc and i'm noticing there's an awkwardness that they have because they can't really say anything about latinx voters because they deified people of color in such a way that you can't talk about them in any nuance or in a frank manner and they can't and they definitely white people on MSNBC definitely can't can't go up go up there and say and admit a fucking basic truth that there are prejudices yes even within latin communities even within indian american communities like they're everywhere black communities you name it right like the only time actually they'll talk about black people being homophobic they'll do that They'll do that Sometimes, one. Yeah. <laughs> They'll do that one. But they just have a hard time processing these things. And I thought it was interesting to watch it on MSNBC. And I thought it was interesting for people, you know, because people were fighting me on Twitter. I know I'm fucking rambling right now. But people were fighting me on Twitter because I was insinuating. I was like, yo, the fact that you guys are calling Latinx voters non-white so cavalierly is kind of funny yeah. to me yeah. as... 
um, a New York City native. And, you know, and Rob knows this because I've talked about this on Woke Bros all the time. Like, the, the dynamic between Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, and black people in New York City is a very fraught one, right? And, and I'll tell you one thing. Um, when people say Latinx identity is complicated, I'll tell you what's not complicated. They know they ain't black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'll tell you that, like, right now, for a fact. One thing Latinx people know, they are not black, you know, and, and whatever. And I know that there's a case of people who identify, who self-identify as Afro-Latina or Latino and all of that stuff, which is great. And I love y'all. But the vast majority of Latinx people, one thing they will tell you, some people don't identify as white and some people do. And all of them have pride and all of that. But what they will tell your ass with the quickness, I know black poppy. <laughs> I know black poppy. <laughs> and so I think those dynamics are, <laughs> seem to be catching a lot of corporate libs by surprise and like the the, the, the enthusiasm for Trump catches them by surprise because I just think they don't, they, like when you're so rich and fancy, you don't have to know anything about the dynamics of Puerto Ricans and Dominicans and black people in the Bronx. You don't need to know. So you don't. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's sort of clouding the er, very, very early discourse coming out of last night. Yeah, when Trump won in 2016, the standard take amongst if you were like a Democratic Party strategist or a congressperson or whatever, the standard take was that Trump was a freak win and he won for two reasons. One, because Russia gave it to him, uh, which is bullshit. Christ. And two, because uh, just white people are too uh, irremediably racist and <laughs> they just voted for Trump out of pure uh, <laughs> racial resentment. <laughs> Those two things are the, the reasons that they point to, and, and that's it. So what they spent the last four years doing is saying, telling people Trump is a Putin asset and he's uh, irredeemably racist. What became clear in the early exit polls of 2020, and even the polls leading up to 2020 election, which I did a, my segment on Jacobin last week before the election was on this, because I'm looking at the polls and I'm like, wait a minute, Trump is doing better in 2020 with quote-unquote non-white voters. You nailed this, nailed this, Nando. You were Nostradamus with this. Yeah, I was like looking at the polls, I'm like, wait a minute, that's the discourse is backwards because he's actually bleeding support amongst white working-class voters (laughs) and and gaining support amongst educated whites and blacks and Latinos, especially younger blacks and especially Latino men. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is like the discourse upside down. You know, the discourse has always been that white men, especially white working class men, love Trump and POC, you know, the because all speaking, people POC of color hate and, and, are the same. And I got to step in because yeah. because and it's important that people understand that, like. The whole topic of racism, and I say this all the time, and I'm f- trying to find a better way to explain it, but it's it's both overrated and underrated. I yeah, think I know what you mean. I, I know think what you mean. people underrate how many people are racist but they overrate how important it ultimately is that's what i think ends up happening it's like pretty much everybody's kind of fucking racist but it doesn't it doesn't manifest itself in a way that like the general discourse sort of would have you think but go ahead nando no, no, that's. I think that's exactly right, um, and I think that the reason why he bled were white working class support. I mean, he didn't like wi- he didn't like lose it all, but he he performed way worse this time, which is why he won 
you know, Wisconsin, you know, these kind of the states, the states that are going to ultimately give him the election are the Rust Belt states that Hillary Clinton lost. Um, and the reason why he bled white working class support is because to some degree, he won those voters in 2016 with a economically populist message against free trade. Uh, you know, they're shipping your jobs yep. away. Uh, blah, 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 blah. And then he didn't deliver on any of that. And so they left. Okay. So they were like, that, that's, that's about as simple as an explanation as you can, as you can, uh, as you can get. But that's, but that's true. Um, why did he do better with uh, blacks and minorities uh, and, and Hispanics than he did in, t in 2016? Well, basically because the Democratic Party offers these people nothing. Literally nothing outside of, outside of like what you said, vague kind of anti-racist language. Let me tell you which, what the, the Democratic way, Party offers them. Huge amount, that. but it's alienating to huge amount of of actually working class minorities. Like it, it, you know, the, the sort of the educated minorities love that kind of stuff. Like you know, an educated Latino yes. guy who went yes. to like you know a liberal arts college loves. For example, the term Latinx, like no working class uh, Latinos actually use that term. Right. They barely even use the term Latino, to be honest. They, right. they call themselves, you know, I'm Mexican or I'm Puerto Rican or, right. you know, they even say like, quote unquote, problematic terms like I'm Spanish, even though I'm not Spanish yeah, yeah, or yeah, they'll yeah, say yeah. things like, yeah. So um, the, what they, they offer only offer Nando them this kind is, of elite is the driven, cloth big anti-racism. What, what, sorry? The, the Kinte cloth kneeling. That's, that is the perfect yes. Encap yes. encapsulation yes. of what... Establishment Dems are offering voters. We're not Trump. We're with, you think Trump wouldn't put on a kente cloth? He would do it in a heart. It wouldn't even like he wouldn't even think about it. He'd be like, yeah, whatever. Who gives a shit? This is gonna keep, keep yeah. these people happy. Like they really think this is the substitute for substantive stuff, right? And again, I think people did poo-poo the economic economic um, populist arguments that Trump was making in 2016. They did think it was like it did. It's like, no, like people hated NAFTA. People legitimately yeah. lost their jobs. I'll never forget, man, somebody, a homie of mine, he was talking about his grandfather and he was like, yo, Waz, this dude was so fucking racist. He hated black people. The only people he hated more than black people were Republicans because he's a fucking union <laughs> guy. He was like, yeah, I, he's like, I know who my number one enemy is. You know right. what I'm saying? Like he was like, I he fucking hated Republicans because he yeah. understood what they actually stood for, right? And that message was driven to him. But again, the message was being driven to him not by Democrats but by organized labor. Yeah. Right. And, and and the idea that we could ever count on Democrats to actually, you know, do this type of messaging when they're bought and paid for by the corporate class, the ruling class of the country is tough. But, you know, I do want to get into something that I saw and, and I tweeted this and, I you know, I found it kind of funny. I, I, you know, I'm very and again, we're all over the place, guys, because we just have so many things that we're thinking about. And 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 just it's just a lot going on right now. But um. This this guy named Peter Hamby, he's yeah. the host of Snapchat's Good Luck America. Are you familiar with this dude's work, Nando? I, I know this dude's work. He's like uh, he's like Snapchat's political guy. <laughs> okay, um, he he put out a tweet that I thought was just interesting. It's just an interesting read. I and it, it, it reminds me it reminds me of the NBA bubble, and I'll tell you why. Um, okay. Peter Peter Hamby. I like where this is going. <laughs> Peter Hamby put out a tweet saying, "Quote: Remember how contemptuous." 
progressive pundit campus Twitter was about Biden, Pete, Amy, and their insistence on appealing to moderate voters, that whole conversation feels even more sophomoric and detached from political reality than it did at the time. Um, End quote. You know, okay, so... Well, okay. So here's what here's here's where my objection is with that. You know, what 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 moderate voters is code for is like suburban people, like rich suburban people, right? <laughs> right. And it is true that the Democratic strategy for the last maybe 20 years has been explicit, maybe probably even more actually, has been explicitly to try to win over those man, voters. Those voters Clinton, are typically 92. very reactionary. Actually, some people yeah. would say 1985, man. Like they got their asses yeah. kicked by Reagan again. Yeah. It's like fuck these fucking working yeah. class people. Suburbanized <laughs> people are. Very very reactionary. That's just the yeah. reality. They live in these like little palaces. They, yep. they, they're afraid of like yep. uh, the inner cities. They think it's like just gangland warfare they, all the time. They, and they, they see have, their, and they ha- their and they shit as a, glass, as a glass house. Like that can, yeah. all, like it's under yeah, attack at all angles. Yeah. And they own assets, right? So they're very reactionary. Okay. So, but the, the Democratic Party has been explicitly trying to win these people over. And it, there is evidence that in the Trump era, especially at the presidential level, um, they've won over a lot of those voters. That's true. The problem is that they go, they go then, and those voters then, like, yeah, I hate Trump, but I'm going to vote for Susan Collins. I'm going to vote for, uh, you know, Tillman, or the guy who beat, uh, I'm going to vote for Lindsey Graham. I don't give a, you know, these guys are fine. You know, so <laughs> there was get the situation in which Biden wins the presidency on uh, with, the, with the huge uh, right. upsurge in support for the Democratic exactly. ticket uh, in, uh, in rich suburban areas. But then they vote Republican in, in in the Senate. Am I surprised? No. When you when you appeal to Republican voters, disaffected anti-Trump Republican voters by putting uh, John Kasich in your uh, in your Jesus convention, Christ. Mike Bloomberg in your convention by touting the endorsement of Rick Snyder, which I want to get to uh, later, you shouldn't be surprised if a lot of those voters then go back and vote for a bunch of Republicans in the Senate because they 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 see Trump as sort of different. That was it's always been the mistake the Democrats do of trying to separate Trump from like say oh, man. McCain Republicans or or you know moderate Republicans quote unquote or like even George W. Bush right which liberals have who liberals have like rehabilitated in the Trump era, right? No, you're supposed to tie them to the party. You're supposed to tie the popular guy to the party, hang him around their necks. And they do not do that. They did the opposite. They separated them, which is why no one should They're like, Trump is a departure from, I'm like, yo. And and, and, and I think, so I'm not going to lie. I had that, that moment in 2016 where I felt very disappointed in white people. Um, and very, I was disappointed in Republicans for being Republican, which like in hindsight, I realized was silly, stupid, naive, was dumb because it's like, you know, in the moment it just felt horrible. It just felt like, it felt like, it felt personal for me. It felt like the vote for Trump was a personal repudiation of the person who I am. The people who I come from, right? Like, yeah. it's just a personal attack of, like, fuck you people, right? That's what it felt like. But the reality is Republicans <laughs> remain Republican. Donald Trump is not weird. Donald Trump no. is actually just Rush Limbaugh, who's been dominant with that crowd for 30, going on 40 years now. 
Yeah. Um, just incarnated, right? It's yeah. Luke Gingrich. It's it's the shit they've been doing. It's um Lee Atwater. It's it's all of that. It's all been leading to this, and their voters have loved it at every freaking turn, right? Like they're they're base voters, not the sub, the nice suburbanites in the suburbs of Philadelphia yeah. and these other kinds of places. Not the not those people. Not the people in Staten Island and and all of that stuff. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. The people. <laughs> Staten Island. Oh, Lordy. Oh, oh my goodness, him. man. He, he, yo, he won by 20 points they in Staten Island, bro. Of course. They um, love him. Um, and, and yeah, it's just this idea that people are surprised. Like, God damn, like, look at the turnout. Like, Donald Trump got more votes um, in, in 2020 than Barack Obama, Barack Obama did in 2008. He, they, they, they both broke records for voter turnout. I'm like, bro, this is Republicanism. Like, this is, this is, and, and I think that's another thing that that I think the Dems are going to have to come to terms with, which I think, which is what you're trying to say, Nando, is that you're going to have to meet these people where they live. Um, I know that you think people in West Virginia who chew tobacco are icky and have, you know, you might think that they're deplorable and their brains are rotted or whatever you might think because you're a fancy hoity-toity Northeast liberal, but like, these are the people you're going to need. <laughs> West, the West Virginia stuff is is perfect for modern politics, right? Because the modern liberal class, like, say, you know, people who live in the cities and stuff, like, see West Virginia as this, like, frothing at the mouth, racist, toothless hicks, you know, <laughs> who are, like, basically feral animals that cannot be controlled. West Virginia is not Virginia. Is it split from Virginia because of slavery. You know, like people don't realize that the history of West Virginia is actually very left. West Virginia is the hotbed of the American labor movement. It is the heart of the American labor movement in the early 20th century. West Virginia was anti-slavery, pro-labor, voted solidly Dem up until the 90s. That's why Joe Manchin is still there. He's right. like a relic of that era. Right. You know, he's a Democrat. And, and so the, West Virginia was not a Republican state you know, West Virginia was ago. the like, classic um, was the classic FDR base of like he changed those people's lives. And so and so they were like, fuck that. We're Democrat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like straight up yeah. and down. Like they were that yeah. classic FDR base yeah. of people for the Democrats. So so this idea that they're just like, you know, irredeemably racist, got to write it off. You know, there's just, that's just, that's just wrong. That's just absolutely wrong. What has happened in West Virginia is that the coal industry has collapsed and what has replaced it? Nothing. Yeah. Opioid addiction yeah. and social collapse and, you know, suicides and all, like basically everyone's life is just way shittier than it was. Therefore they're, cynical and removed from politics and they don't believe the democratic party has their best interest in their heart because heart, they, they, they have is by the way 100 true so <laughs> so like you can't blame them for not really voting them because what are the democratic party offering them nothing you know it's literally nothing and what it gets to my broader point about this idea that democrats have been running for the longest time on just the Republicans are evil, vote for us to stop the evil, right? This was the case in 2004. Bush was hugely unpopular. And there was this huge backlash towards Bush. The base was riled up. And what did they cough up was John Kerry, this kind of like, whatever the fuck. And Rest in peace, John lost. Edwards, man. The centrist, safe centrist guy, you know, who's not going to offend anyone. And he lost. 
Um, same thing uh, in 2020 is like we're just going to cough up this like safe Joe Biden guy, just run on an anti-Trump platform. I mean, Trump is even more unpopular than George W. Bush, which is why Joe Biden is limping across the finish line and is going to probably going to win the presidency, even though they're going to lose the Senate and reduce their House lead, which everyone thought they were going to expand. Um, so it's because they're not offering voters anything. We say what it every week. Concrete, every week. So in Florida, in Florida, which went for Trump, OK, and in 2018, got a Republican mayor, Ron DeSantis, who is like, you know, insane <laughs> and put Rick Scott in the Senate. Yeah. Rick Scott, who was the governor of Florida and was the most unpopular governor in America at the moment. His <laughs> yeah. approval rating was like in the 20s or something crazy like that. Yep. Republicans won that state. You know what else? You know what? You know what Republican voters? Sorry. You know what Florida voters also voted for in 2018? Uh, voting rights for felons. You know what they voted for in 2020? By 23 points, a super majority of Florida voters voted to increase the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Okay, <laughs> did Joe Biden run on a $15 increase in minimum wage? Okay. I mean, it might have been on his website, but Centrist he never will ran say on he it. ran on it. Centrists will say but he ran on it. It's not true. He never talked about it. He never <laughs> organized around it. He never campaigned on it. It was never. It, I think $15 minimum wage was mentioned one time in the DNC, and it wasn't by by Joe Biden or Kamala Harris. Right. That they just did not run it. Yeah, they put it on their website, so they can then say like, no, no, we're for all these things. But they're not really for it because they're not organizing and campaigning for it. They don't reach out to voters and explain to them that they're going to fight tooth and nail to raise the minimum wage to $15. So what happens? What are they? The voters are like, well, what are they offering me? This narrative around the Cuban American vote is actually a little misleading. You know, there's 900,000 Cuban Americans in Florida. There's 870,000 Puerto Rican Americans in Florida. Trump got the exact same share of the Cuban American vote in 2020 than he did in 2016. But uh, the collapse for, the, for the, the, the support for the Democrats collapsed in my places like Miami-Dade, probably because other ethnicities <laughs> just didn't come out and vote for and voted for Biden. That's yeah. just the reality of it. You got the exact same number with Cuban Americans, like literally the exact same number. So it's not it's not just the reactionary Cubans of which there are many, you know. But it, but the, the the narrative is a little is a little fuzzy there. And again, if you don't run on anything concrete for people to rally around, if you don't provide them an agenda that is positive, that is going to put give them a stake in their own life, that is going to give them a material benefit in some in some way. You know, this idea that like voters vote against their own interests. No, they don't. What what is what are the Democrats offering them? Literally nothing. Again, literally nothing. Just like vague terms about like we're going to unite the country, we're going to recover our soul. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, nothing's fundamentally like, going to change, man. Nothing's fundamentally because everything's change. so exactly. great right now. <laughs> exactly. So, um, and and the yeah. reason why I said I mentioned the bubble and that that homie from um Snapchat's political show. I don't want to be dismissive or disrespect them. It's not like you know woke bros is fucking you know Larry King live here. But I'm just saying, um, the reason why what he said reminded me of the NBA bubble is because a oh, lot yeah. of the conversations that we'd had we had we've been having. As pundits and people that I know who to who I know who work in the league around the league I've been talking to, is like, what's the takeaway? And I'll tell you what the takeaway is. If you are the Lakers, if you are the Denver Nuggets, if you are somebody who overachieved or achieved that all in the bubble, it means everything. <laughs> right? It, it means it means everything. It's like, look at what we did under those conditions. We fucking overcame the odds. Imagine when we got a full training camp. Imagine when people are recovering from COVID. Just imagine what's going to happen. We're going to fucking kill people. If you are a team that underachieved, 
If you are the Houston Rockets, if you are the Los Angeles Clippers, if you are the Milwaukee Bucks, you get to say, man, they had a sequestered in, Mil- in fucking Orlando. You know, guys were sick. Guys were uncomfortable. Guys were this. Guys- There's all the excuses. It's like, you get to look at it however you want to look at it. Like, me personally, I, bo- I woke up this morning feeling like, Biden eking out a win is actually a win for people like you and me because cynicism took a loss yesterday. Um, the, I, like, if, if Biden would have cruised to a victory, overwhelming victory, you know, kilted in Florida, flipped Georgia, flipped Arizona, North Carolina got flipped, all of this shit behind a, 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 a fucking... The most cynical campaign of my life of yeah. just, like, we're not Trump... That guy's racist. Yeah. He killed 200,000 people. But, like, not, don't worry about what I'm going to do. Just, like, the most cynical campaign I've ever fucking seen. The guy literally hid for months at a time, right? Like, and they just barely eked out a victory. And for me, it's the best of both worlds. Trump is, is basically defeated. Biden won. But they got to they gotta have at least a little fucking humility about this one. Yeah. I mean, come on, bro. Come on, Wisconsin by 20,000 votes. Come on. You cannot tell me your message is just penetrating the heart of the American people. Come on. And I see on the Hill, there's a, uh, there's a, uh, there's a report out there on the Hill saying that centrist Democrats talk leadership change after negative election results. You know, they're talking about like, man, Pelosi got to get replaced by Hakeem Jeffries and all this other shit. (laughs) <laughs> not going to um, happen. Well, it, it, you know, it, it, your point reminded me of something, which is that, let's be clear, if some Chinese guy in Wuhan doesn't eat a bat or whatever the fuck and unleashes oh, a global man, pandemic, Trump is Trump dominating wins a historic this. He's dominating, bro. <laughs> yeah, easy cruise to re-election. Bro, could um, you, like, yo, Biden, when he came and basically did the speech in Delaware to be like, um, yo, guys, we're looking. We we in the catbird seat actually in Wisconsin and Michigan. Sit tight, we good. And I think we're gonna smash him in, in Pennsylvania. We still looking good in Georgia and all of that. I sat up there. He spoke for three minutes, and I was yeah. just like, please put the mic down. This dude, like, he's th- he's toast. This dude is toast. He's freaking I toast. Mean, you think about it, like it, it's not that long ago that Trump himself got COVID and infected like his entire administration and his entire family, you know, (laughs) that we, it's not that long ago that the stimulus uh, for the most historic economic collapse in the history of capitalism ran out and people are living, you know, on the edge and he still almost won. Like, come on. Like, like, there's gotta be some humility here. All right, and we're back, and we have a very special guest for you guys, man. Some of you guys may know Ben as Ben from marketing, but really, he's been a brand strategist for some of the biggest brands in the world, been in this game for damn near 20 years now. Um, just a freaking a salesman, if you will. You know, like that's part of what he does, who he is, um, and not in the slime ball type of way. It's just like, how do we effectively communicate um, the mission of some product, right? Um, and, and, you know, we were talking last night and, and some of the results are coming in and it's like the people who we would seem to be able to, and I say we, and I want to say just quickly this joke, right? 
Um, I'm about to go to sleep last night. It's probably like 1130 or whatever. And the Wisconsin and Michigan stuff is looking like, all right, Milwaukee County's about to come in. Uh, Michigan is, is basically a bunch of blue counties coming in. Looking like Joe is about to squeak this through. And I, and I, you know, I, I lay my head on the pillow and I say, I say, man, the Dems really about to squeak this little one out, huh? And my girl said, you're saying the Dems like you're not a part of the Dems. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I ain't no damn Dems. Democrat, but yeah, you know, right, you know yeah. what I mean. I hesitate like to use the we with the Dems, but whatever. Anyway, Ben was just saying, like, you know, it seems like there's so many victories with people that would seem to be aligned with a lot of our core missions or what we would claim to be our core missions that clearly we failed with. And I think, and again, I think those border towns in Texas are just case in point number one. Like, Hillary dominated those counties. Biden is, like, squeaking through with, like, 52% of the vote there. And these are, like, these are places that are, like, 95% Mexican people, right? Not all of them are Mexican immigrants or whatever. Some of them are third third and fourth (laughs) generation people. But, like, you know, a lot of them would identify as being cowboys for sure, but they're Mexican, straight up. They speak Spanish. They're, um, they feel a connection to the culture, all of that. And they just, they overwhelmingly like Donald Trump more this cycle. And Ben, I just wanted to hear what, what you had to say about just messaging in general. So I think it starts with, look at the data. And the data says we did not win any, like we did not unify anything all we did yeah. <laughs> was mobilize more people who already agreed with us. But we did not change anybody's mind. We did not recruit in new audiences. And we still barely are squeaking it out. And actually, like, the voter turnout numbers themselves are actually, for me, surprisingly low. Like, I actually thought the way the energy was, it was like we were going to see, like, a 20 million person increase, whereas we saw, like, a, I want to say it's like an 8 to 9 million person increase. But with all that being said, you know, Waz, we talk about this all the time, and you brought it up. Republicans have been masters of messaging, right? They're taking away your guns, right? It's gun rights, like, right? They're taking away your freedom of speech. Fuck political correctness. It's freedom of speech. They're words, sticks and stones, right? Trickle-down economics. Even build a wall. These are simple things. And what we see in marketing is more and more today in a fragmented media world where we have hundreds of media channels, there's not just one. Simple, consistent messaging wins, right? And it takes months and months and months to build repetition in our brains to hammer something home. So part of what you see when we say, like, Trump supporters are brainwashed, they literally are because their answers to everything are fake news, it's like, we, we're not even talking about the news, right? What is that, what is, what is that an, an answer to? So the problem is, can any of you tell me what Joe Biden and Kamala Harris ran on aside from <laughs> we're not racist? Like We're not, what, yeah, we're not Trump, we're not racist. So essentially, the message is, if you are a brown person, if you are a person of color, um, and we're just going to go ahead and assume that the number one issue in your life is racism. Cause everybody knows when you're black or brown or Indian or whatever, racism is just, Oh, how are you even doing it with all the racism? You have no, you, you have no choice but to come fuck with the Democrats. That's, that's their thinking. Because again, a lot of these people clearly don't know normal, like they know Indian people in DC. 
They know Indian people in, um, you know, in San Francisco. They don't know Indian people from Jackson Heights. They straight up do not. They don't know those people. They don't know about the issues that they care about. They don't know them. They just think because they know, you know, my man Ronak Patel um, from Stanford that they know Indian people. And, they, and don't that's, know, they don't know Indian people from Easton, Pennsylvania. You know what I mean? Right. Like State College. And, and I think one of the big problems is everybody made fun of Trump when he said, what do you have to lose? Yet, oddly, that's actually the brand that's, message that, like, Democrats are putting that out. That works. It, it's, but that kind of is what the Democrats are saying is like, well, we're not racist. Come on yeah. over. But in reality, and this is where I think Republicans have like a bit of edge is it kind of is racist to assume that that's the only thing that unifies us. One trillion yeah. percent. Yeah. And so One when trillion I come percent. back to this, I go, all right. Black Lives Matter is an important statement, right? It, like morally, ethically, socially, it's an important statement. But, but it's not a winner. It's not a winner, <laughs> right? And, and it also assumes, it makes this assumption that everyone who's of color associates themselves with being black. Hell, you and I are, live in New York, right? How many Dominicans you go, uh-uh, poppy, I'm no black. Right. That's 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 I, I, I was saying that to Nando before we actually brought you on. I was like, I'm seeing all this shit on the Internet about, well, Latinx identity is very complex. Let me tell you, it's not complex. They know they're not black. That, well, that's one thing they do know. Well, that's the thing is like. But the thing is, what, what I what I, what drives me crazy is that. There's there's often like what you said was like it's like it's like both overrated and underrated at the same time. But because there's this feeling that, you know, every single community has these unique things and has these unique nuances and whatever. And all that's true, 100 percent. But if you sort of drive yourself crazy trying to tailor your micro message to like these kind of ever smaller micro communities, you're just going to get muddled and lost. Like at a certain point, we're all human beings and we all kind of want similar things in many ways. Like we want a decent life. We want basic levels of security. Everyone wants like meaningful work with that is well paid. And, 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 you know, everyone, no one wants to like, you know, get a health scare and go bankrupt as well. Like that's just, you don't need, like you can be any color or from anywhere and you know, no one wants that. Like no one wants that. So, you know, there's certain things that you can just like assume everyone wants. You can run on those things and then, yeah, tailor your message slightly here and there. You know, when it's when it's applicable to certain issues, yeah, you focus more on sort of, but at the end of the day, the sort of big picture things about any human life, which is that we want just a decent life, uh, a family, you know, job security, uh, well-paid, and all these things, like, it's not rocket science. You could just run on that, but the Democrats and, don't. And I think what's what's important to, to know and delineate, I think a lot of the messaging about, like, this sort of purity test shit that people like to... The, people were making fun of the left for having purity tests for shit like Medicare for all, but... The bottom line is, like, when you are a, a upper-class black person, your purity... Like, even though your life is materially fine, um, you want people to acknowledge that I'm a fucking unicorn because I'm black and I made it. 
And I, I need you to, I need you to, I need you to acknowledge that. And I want, in a matter of fact, I want you to understand that I'm still fighting the same plight that the people in Brownsville, Brooklyn are fighting, even though I live in motherfucking Fort Greene that has nothing to do with Brownsville anymore, right? Which is like a New York reference, but like, I think the message, the dominant message amongst influential blacks is that feeling shit, which I'm sorry is just a fucking bourgeoisie concern. Like, what people care about is having money in their pockets. Yeah. All that shit about, like, <laughs> did that candidate say that black lives matter? That's for y'all bougie motherfuckers. Well, people know, who really need it, that doesn't resonate for real. Know, and I'm talking about black people. You know what it is? It's that in a moment, George Floyd dies, Breonna Taylor dies, you need to be able to say it. That doesn't mean that it's a cornerstone of your campaign saying it, right? Those are things that we just want you to demonstrate on a daily basis. Just demonstrate that you care about black people and brown people and Hispanic people. Like, but what wins, and this is something that, you know, you guys over the two years I've been listening to you and, you know, was five years I've been friends with you, I've come to realize is, we have allowed an economic struggle to get divided along race lines, and we play yeah. into it on the Democratic side. When oh, yeah. Obama, regardless of the policies, and I really don't want to litigate whether Obama was or wasn't successful or a good person or whatever. He what won he, big. He, he won <laughs> big. And what he did, a simple message, hope, right? You want hope better. So it lands what I said. And healthcare. Marketing but yeah, healthcare. But then also— it proved that the majority of these white people who we deem to, to be racist and whatnot are actually just scared people, right? And they are scared because, yes, their jobs are going away. Yes, they are broke. Yes, they don't have opportunity. Are they a bit better off than black people of a similar stature? Yes, they are. But that is not what is actually going to motivate them by making them feel inferior or evil yeah. or whatever. To, to win is about acknowledging motivations. And the motivation, as Nando always brings up, is about acknowledging, like, the economics underlie everything, right? It's kind of like winning cures all in sports, money cures all in, in life. In right? life! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> money can buy you happiness. I mean, yeah. You know, like, it, I mean, there's studies that show, like, up, up until, like, a certain income level, like, each additional $20,000, like, improves your quality of life to a like unbelievable degree. Yeah, I think it's like there's like a number. It's like something like four hundred thousand or five hundred thousand. No, it's seventy two thousand dollars is like the peak minimum wage, right? To have a happy life throughout most of right. the U.S. Obviously, that's not New York and L.A., but like right. everywhere. But I mean, like, San Francisco. And then, and then, and then each Christ. additional twenty thousand dollars like improves your quality of life pretty pretty significantly, and then it kind of flattens off at like five hundred thousand dollars. Like each additional kind of like you know yeah. the difference between making a million and two million is, is nothing really, you know, in terms of your quality of life. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just so, um, it's just so obvious, like what's going on. Like, and if you look at the trajectory of the average American in the last 40 years, it's been one of steady decline. It's just no matter who's in power. Um, and Obama was this brief 
kind of moment of hope in which he ran a very simple message of hope and change to slow and then ultimately reverse this steady decline that has been happening for the vast majority of Americans for 40 years. Right. And then, you know, you no, know, first term struggled to get anything really done. He passed health care, which was OK. And and then he was in a tough reelection fight in 2012. The, the, the economy was doing very poorly. He just got smacked in the midterms and he focused he hyper focused on an economic an economically populist message in the upper Midwest. He hammered over and over and over again that Mitt Romney said, let Detroit fail. And I built up the <laughs> makers. You know, that's it's what he was like. This, this guy, Mitt Romney, is a rich asshole, billionaire. It didn't, yeah, it didn't hurt that Mitt Romney was quite possibly the waspiest right? yeah. motherfucker in the history of presidential yeah, politics. Exactly. Like, so, <laughs> he was like, that's what he focused on. He didn't talk about like anything else, any social issues, nothing, nothing on in that campaign was talked about other than Mitt Romney's rich, you're not. He's a fucking asshole. He invented private equity, which has destroyed the American economy, and he wanted to let Detroit fail, even though his father was the chairman of GM. I saved the auto industry. I saved all these jobs. Vote for me. And that, and then he won. He won comfortably. And, and, and that's— you know, Yeah. Go yeah, ahead. No, and that's why I think that it's so important that for the Dems to move forward—and listen, whether we like it or not, there's not going to be a third party— in, in our near term, right? Okay. So, so whether yeah. we like it or not, we are part of the democratic establishment, right? Yeah. So the, the key is to find the messages and then the people who can articulate them that are actually going to start aligning poor people against rich people, right? Because there's infinitely more of them. And that's why as much as at first I was like universal basic income, I was like, Yet a thousand dollars a month. What the hell is that going to do? Blah blah blah. But that's me being idiotic and thinking from a New York perspective because a thousand dollars a month doesn't get you a, a <laughs> yeah. second bathroom in your apartment. But then it's like you go like around the rest of the country. It's like a thousand dollars a month can pay a two Man, bedroom apartment, utilities, a car bill, everything. And so when you start thinking about that, it was like, you know, I almost think the democratic angle should be an internal face and you need to figure out what the external language is, but it's like the party of the poor, health, wealth, and education. That's it. Right. Yeah. But Ben, and, and, and we, and I agree with you. I, I just don't know that the party, like the messaging is, 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 is obvious because again, a lot of these messages that started within the democratic party, a lot of it is Bernie Sanders, but like, Medicare for all polls incredibly well again um, amongst You've all been Americans. Fox News. Did you see that the exit polls that Fox News conducted? Where seventy percent of the exit polls showed that they wanted government-run health care. Like it's like, come on! Despite the fact that of relentless propaganda from both sides against government-run health care, you know yep. the people still kind of understand that health care is something that the government should be doing and not. Fucking, you know, evil insurance corporations and big pharma. <laughs> and, and, but again, they, they learn the lessons way too, it takes them way too long to learn the lessons because, you know, I remember 08 and, and 09 and 2010 when it was, you know, get your government hands off my Medicare. I remember that, you know, like, and it was like, yo, these people are crazy. But guess what? They came around, though. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, they came around on all of it. Like, when they tried to take away the pre-existing conditions, um, kicking the, the kids that are up to, like, 25 or whatever it is off of the health care plans, it was like, no, 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 we like all of that shit. So they came around on all of it. Who which, doesn't like yes, Social Security, by the way? 
Well, no one. It's the most popular. Only only rich people don't yeah, like it. Bro. And, what, and so know. tell me why right? Joe Biden Joe, isn't Did Joe Biden there. even mention Nobody Social Security? Nobody talked about it. He's, he's not trying to take it away in the future. This payroll tax freedom bullshit that they're doing was taking it away right <laughs> now. He didn't mention it. And you know what? White people in the Midwest love themselves some? Social Security. They love social. They love to, it. They love social. Here's, here's my bigger question for you guys to put it back. Like to me, the messaging is obvious. And I think you have candidates like AOC who, again, I don't agree with everything she says, but what I can acknowledge is she is a brilliant candidate, like as as a, as a being yeah. to embody messaging. She's politically yeah. talented, yeah. But She's got charisma. What is the yeah. future? Like where, where do you find these people to change this or or do we just have to like more or less suck it up that like by the way they're going to run some sort of Donald Trump light in the next election and they're going to win I think Donald Trump is going to win again is going to run in the next election <laughs> Man he if not, he's up to it if he's physically he just, up to it he would do great again Oh yeah 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 no Trump would win in Republican primary but like he would fucking <laughs> own all of those fucking <laughs> you know are you kidding me Trump 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 decides to run in 2024 he's winning the Republican primary like mark my words yeah. like and, it's, and it won't even be very close um you know like he just will own all of those idiots like like he did in in 2016 so, um, yeah, I mean, that's... you know what I hope what I hope to see with AOC and I'm glad you brought it up. And I think I think for me, the ultimate lesson with Bernie was that the thing that we loved about him was the thing that sunk him was that he had no friends. Um, he just was not an insider. The reason why Bernie could be Bernie was that he was not an insider, but it's also why he lost. Right. And I think AOC is trying to. To straddle that fence. She's playing the game. Bernie, why we loved him, because he never, ever, ever, ever played the game. AOC is playing the game right now. Somebody told her that she could be president. And so she's like, she's playing it. I'm watching. I'm like, man, you're pretty good at this shit. (laughs) I mean, I think ultimately what sank Bernie, at least in 2020, because in 2016, he got close, um, was that there wasn't the existential threat of Trump. And, you know, people just didn't quite believe it in their hearts that uh, Bernie could win against Trump with the whole kind of media and Democratic establishment against him. They just kind of didn't really believe it. They couldn't really go there. Um, And so the Democratic primary voters just took the quote unquote safe bet, which is the one that the media told them was the safe bet, which, you know, we always kind of assumed was not very safe because Joe Biden's always night, been a terrible were they, were they campaigner safe and last, last night poured it out, you know, because <laughs> they fucking squeaked through. Um, so, but uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of like, who's gonna, who's gonna take the, the mantle? I mean, I think that we're entering into a very unstable phase in our politics and it's just incredibly difficult to predict what's going to happen. I mean, I think that there is a very real um, rupture within the Democratic Party coalition, which is that, you know, the the dominant wing of the power centers of the party are older, white suburbanite types, and that the base of the party, which is much younger, you know, basically everyone under 45 is like 
far more radical than um, than their parents' generation is. And that, that coalition coexisting together is going to create all kinds of tensions and all kinds of frictions that are impossible to predict, especially in a future, in a near future in which we have a very weak Biden administration dealing with a Republican Senate in the middle of, economic, of an economic crisis. Right? They're not going to be able to pass any meaningful uh, economic stimulus, which means that the, the, we're going to go into a very deep recession. Um, and they're just going to blame the party in power, the vast majority of voters, which we're going to see is going to fuel a, another furious backlash. And, um, you know, what that means for the Democratic Party is just very unclear to me. Like, I just don't know. I, I, I can't. I can't imagine it. I just know that we're in some sort of weird inflection point in our politics in which we're ending a, cert a certain era. We're kind of in this weird uh, space, like interregnum space, and a new era will emerge. Um, and it's just impossible to know what it is. I mean, I have my suspicions that it's going to be either just hardcore right-wing nationalism um, with like pretty authoritarian means to, to sort of um, sustain it, or some sort of managed decline of the empire, not to get too like heady about it, but more or less like what the British Empire did after World War II, which was just, okay, we're just gonna take care of our citizens. We're gonna kind of wind this thing down. Um, we're not gonna be like, you know, yeah, they passed the National Health Care, the National Health Service, um, and like we're more or less gonna take care of our people and we're just gonna, yeah, just retreat um, and, and let the Americans take over. And I, I don't know like what's gonna, I, I honestly have no idea what's gonna happen. So, you know, as, as we, uh... As, as we sit here, it looks like they're about to announce that Biden is going to kind of officially, unofficially win, right? Pre-week. Yeah, he just pre, won Michigan. Pre-whatever. But I think yeah. what you're getting at that I'm just so fascinated by, because while, you know, we'd talked about this, I was by no means disillusioned. I, I love Nate Silver. I love data. I love all this stuff. But I was in no way disillusioned to think that the Dems were going to pick up all these Senate seats. Because to mm -hmm. me, the whole campaign was about just get Trump out of office. This was not about policy change, right? And so if it wasn't about policy change, we were never going to see these Senate seats get picked up. Yeah. And, and with that being said, we're going to end up in another, you know, 2012 version of Obama administration where you're right, nothing gets done, right? So therefore, I don't know what leaders emerge. I don't think Kamala, unfortunately, is going to be able to be tied to a presidency that doesn't do anything and therefore win. I don't think Michelle Obama wants to be any version of Hillary Clinton in the sense of like the, the, the wife of a president running for president, you know, all of that. So also she's, I, she only has downsides. There's, there's only downsides for Michelle, you know, like she's unbelievably popular. We'll go down in history as like this beloved figure. If she runs for president, <laughs> that is changing, you know? Yeah. And so, so I don't know where this comes from, but the only thing that I, that was surprising to me, and everybody should look at the actual exit poll data, for all the hubbub about young people, now whether this is because Bernie didn't win the nomination or not, I think young people voted at like a 34%, right? Like mm -hmm. under under 35, right? So like, let's not pretend like these young people with radical ideas, with passions, like they love a march because it looks good on Instagram. This is not yeah, this facts. is not like people who are actually out here to actually make change. 
Well, but they're not. Well, but, well, but they're not. Well, okay. that, but that's exactly why they're not. Why they're not, why they're not pulling the lever for Joe Biden? I mean, because Joe Biden doesn't represent that at all. I mean, yeah, but then you could. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't make them like, feel we're, good. We're, we're asking people to pull the lever. Like American politics is just conditioned around this idea that you're supposed to pull the lever for people who, like, basically are actively hostile towards you. You know, and that's just not how voters behave in any democracy, not just in the United States. You know, Do you like think they people really don't understand vote. that though? Do you think they no, really yeah. I mean, understand it's, that it's he's on some towards him? Yeah. I mean he he says it all the time. He doesn't he doesn't he he doesn't represent anything that they stand for at all. You know, like not not stylistically not and it's not, and not, it's not hard to like yeah. It's not hard to know where Joe Biden really stands. Like, he's been around too long. Like, he, he can't even... I think Kamala Harris can can feign some type of... She you felt, know what? I'm she actually She fell on her this. face in the primary. She, she, she didn't even make it to the first, uh, to the first like, v voting. She had to end her campaign because she was polling at, like, 3%, even though she had all this momentum... Um, you know, like going behind her. I thought behind she was going to be, she was gonna be a much more a better candidate. But, but, but Nando, no... I'm speaking of Kamala Harris. You guys want to hear some great fanfic? Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that somehow when she becomes, she's eventually going to become the standard bearer for the party. Because Joe Biden, amongst many other things, he is fucking toast. He's out on his feet, man. Yeah. Like, like that dude is is no disrespect to the no, elderly, yeah. man. This he's done. Yeah. He's finished. Right. And so there's going to be some type of handoff to Kamala Harris and Kamala Harris fanfic that I've been spinning since last <laughs> night, guys, is that her her big commie socialist father, father is the mole. Finally. <laughs> yeah, he's been building her in a lab. He was the mole he's the been building time, her in a lab guys. for 40 years. One of the biggest Marxists in the yeah. country. A lot of people don't know this, but like Kamala Harris's dad is literally a Marxist scholar. Yeah. Like literally. Yeah. One of the most famous Marxist scholars in America. Her father. So is Pete Buttigieg. And so dad. before Pete Buttigieg, Pete Buttigieg, Pete Buttigieg, too, Buttigieg which is like, translated Gramsci to English. <sighs> you know, like that was his contribution. <sighs> That's, um, just, that's, yeah. just, that's just mind-blowing. Yeah. But yeah, her dad, finally, he was the mole the whole he's, time he's, that the Cubans were scared of. You want to talk about a Russian operation? <laughs> that's the fresh Is this the American season nine? Is that what you guys are describing? Yeah, exactly. exactly. There's, like, there's a chip in Kamala <laughs> as soon as she becomes president, she's like, "Whoa, I'm gonna, I'm gonna nationalize the means of production." <laughs> Joe, Joe Biden, like uh, attorneys, walking around the office right now. Uh, okay. Yeah, crazy. Anyway, man, so that's our show for for this week, guys. Definitely want to thank um, Ben for coming on with us and sh just sharing his thoughts uh, again. Um, it's looking like Joe Biden and, and, and the Dems are going to eke this thing out <laughs> miraculously. Uh, Nando Vila, Vila, as always, Rob on the ones and threes. Man, I'm sorry, Rob. We're going to be blaming Hispanics for a minute, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. Y'all going to have to take this one. Um, we'll see you guys next week. Make sure you become a Patreon of Count the Dinks, countthedinks.com backslash Patreon. Make sure you're listening to Let's Pot It Out, Nando's incredibly genius hilarious um, entourage podcast, man. It's just make sure you check it out all of our offerings, whether it be uh, Pack Your Knives, whether it be the Friday Mailbag, whether it be Cinephile, whether it be the Dad Pod. Make sure you're checking out everything we do over here, man. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. We're out of here.